Welcome back to the Poor Proles Almanac, part two of the Denmark Vesey story. Unlike most episodes of anything you've ever listened to, despite it being number two or part two, part one is actually not necessary for part two since it's uh, more of a philosophical conversation around what had happened and the implications it had and how we can see parallels in the way things are playing out right now. I'm joined as always by my melatonin gifted, wait, no, melanin gifted friend, Elliot. Yeah, definitely not melatonin. Don't give me those false promises. And we also have Matt. I do have the melatonin. Good for you. You holding out on me? Yeah. How you doing today? Sleepy? Very sleepy. Seemed real sad last week. I was sad last week? Well, I guess we recorded like an hour ago, so you seemed real, <laughs> you seemed real sad at the end of that last episode. Yeah, well, it's sad stuff going on. I mean, yeah. This is a, a really, really weird story for a number of reasons, reasons we're going to get into. Even though you didn't need to listen to part one first, I do recommend it. Yeah, it is interesting. Not fun, but interesting. So with that out of the way, let's talk Denny. Denny the many. Like, you know, Dennis the menace. Yeah, just because I got it, it still doesn't mean it's funny. All right, so our buddy Denmark has very, very little written about his early life, as many people who entered the United States under slavery did. We don't know a whole lot except that he was really, really lucky. Yeah, he was a king. Well, he was a slave, but he was like a king among slaves. Yeah, I, let, let's go with that. I don't love it, but I'll take it. I mean, he won the lottery literally and figuratively, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of things happened to him that worked out in favor for him to become a free man. You know, not that he was living some gray life or anything. Yeah. So he's a black dude in the South before the Civil War takes place. So good is an extremely, and I mean extremely relative term here. Yeah. In the previous episode, we talked at length about the philosophical implications and how the Bible was used as a wedge around the humanity of the enslaved. Yeah. And I, we talked about this in the first episode. Are black people even people if the Bible doesn't say so? Listen, if you say it, then I can't get canceled. No, Andy, look, I'm going to put your worries at ease. You're going to get canceled. Just give it time. Poor Pearl's Almanac. Now the 150% more cancellations. Got more cancellations in Southwest than this bitch. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, I mean, am I half canceled? Like, what's... I mean, you're, you're white, so I don't make the rules. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. If I make the rules, everybody in here is going to be calling me Massa. <laughs> okay. Uh, Are you two done yet? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right, that's what I thought. Just just trying to remember the good old pre-cancel times. Anyways, the question of humanity wasn't the only blowback that came from the rebellion attempt. A year after Vesey's death, a group of concerned citizens, a.k.a. the white rich people involved in his court case related to the South Carolina Association which uh, focused on strengthening certain laws to make sure nothing like this would happen again. They funded challenges to laws that were, you know, any anything that would, like, give black people anything. Things as simple as, like, blocking free black sailors from leaving their ships until they were going to depart because they might start spreading anti-slavery propaganda. Had to nip that in the bud. I got chills listening to that and then, like, parallels for today. Exactly. Like, there's a lot of shit that, like, seems ludicrous that is worth paying attention to. Now, this association of rich people began a pamphlet that was under a pseudonym, but talked about the influence and support for the organization. 
and that's in quotes, and the need for religious education for the enslaved and the talk of abolition stemmed that, you know, any any talk of abolition that had existed in South Carolina actually stemmed from outsiders, people not from South Carolina. And so this is interesting because these were also largely the same people who wanted to curb the worst excesses of slaveholders, right? Yeah, and this is really important to understand that the most ardent advocates for treating the enslaved with humanity were also still saying slavery was the natural order of things, even if they didn't like it. It was how God wanted things to be. So within about a thousand square miles outside of that, it wasn't how he wanted it to be, though. Yeah, exactly. Weird how that works out, right? Yeah, like in Charleston, it's one way, but outside of it, it's completely different. Yeah, like God was like, you know what? This is where the the Mason-Dixon line needs to be. And below here, this is the natural order of things. With all this framed up, I think we can actually start to tell the story of what happened in Charleston 200 years ago. But before we do that, in honor of everything that is great about America, it's commercial time. Hey, we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can get a whole lot more information from poorproles.com. On our website, we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast, which provides more depth and context, as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases, such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Proles website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorproles.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up season one, or tune into the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now, back to the show. All right, so let's talk Denny, not the one with the pancakes. Are we sure it's not the same Denny's? That That's not like his breakfast place? Okay, so fun fact, Denny's was originally named Danny's, and neither of the people that started it were named Danny. Well, that's less fun. Why would they pick Danny's, like out of all things on the earth? It's ba- bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's it sounds like, like a, a rundown hardware store. Like even when it's brand new, it, it, it doesn't look it. Like they don't paint. They have like old beat up shells. You're like, you opened last week and it looks like the 80s in here. Danny's Diner sounds like a place where you just wait for the South to rise again. And uh, he might be, to be honest. Danny can also probably help you find some less than legal firearms for the right price. I think I need to call Danny. Not for you, though. Wow. <laughs> I bet we can also get that uh, that like exotic meats from Danny. Danny. We did talk about giraffe meat. And we did. I still haven't gotten any. I mean, if he doesn't have a baboon or two, is he even a sketchy small business owner? You know how many times I've driven down south and seen places that I'm like, how do you legally have that there? Like, it, I think it's in West Virginia or Virginia. I can't remember. Somewhere out, there's a place called the Natural Bridge. And when you get off the highway there, it's, I want to say Virginia. And uh, you get off the highway, there's an abandoned golf course that was like Jurassic Park themed. I don't know if it's actually Jurassic Park themed, but there's like dinosaurs outside and it's all overgrown now. So it's got like big Jurassic Park feeling. But if you go a little well, bit. Well, Jurassic Park like two or three, right? Not Jurassic yeah, Park yeah, one. Yeah. You, yeah. Strictly um, speaking. Yeah. And if you go down a little bit further, there's like this place. I don't know what it exactly was, but they had monkeys 
and they were just like really sad. That's an illegal Aww. zoo. Yeah, that's you, found, you found an illegal zoo is what you found. Yeah. This yeah. is like ten or fifteen years ago, so I don't know if it's still there, but it's like a Joe Exotic franchise. Basically, yes. That happens all the time. Yes. Yeah. So we've gone horribly off track. We're talking about a slave rebellion, right? Yeah. Originally? Yes, not Denny. I think Andy just compared it to an illegal zoo. <laughs> Canceled. Uh oh. Hashtag that's it. canceled. One fifty one. Hundred and fifty first cancellation coming right up. Uh, so let's let's tell this tale. But before we tell this tale, we have to go back. All the way back. I'm not even going to ask you this time, because I don't want to know. Going back to the Danny's new business, which you can hear about in this commercial. Hey, we're just kidding, guys. Just kidding. I just want to preface this story with the fact that this was not the first attempted uprising in Charleston. In 1739, 60 people died during an uprising, which led to a number of new laws about oversight of enslaved people. Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably made things worse for the slaves because they didn't fucking kill all the people that they needed to. You would be correct, but uh, it's not as black and white as it might seem. Yeah, I see what you did there. Thank you for that. (laughs) So we're only talking about like 80 years later. So the impacts of this still were very much alive in the minds of the aristocratic members of the city. Someone in their life had been alive during this, this event. This impacted it so much so that this manifested in a facility called the workhouse or the sugar house, which is ultimately where Denmark and his collaborators were tortured. Why was it called the sugar house? That seems like a fun name for something that's like awful. So it was an old sugar refinery. Now, we've done 150 episodes at this point. We've never done a trigger warning in 150 episode, but if you are squeamish, I would definitely recommend fast forwarding the next two minutes or so. Part of how this facility operated was not to just be a jail, but to get enslaved people to fear their masters again. So for doing the dirty work that even the slave owners couldn't stomach. Yeah, basically. Now, this included the stuff you'd expect, whipping and so on, but also other methods that were so barbaric the slave owners couldn't do themselves without like some sadistic investment in torture. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, for example, there are these things called stockades that were simple but brutal forms of torture. Prisoners' legs would be forced through a wooden plank, their hands would be tied by a rope, and their necks would be fastened by a heavy chain to one of the beams in the damp, unlit cellar underneath the main floor of the building for days at a time. God. So so it's like old school CrossFit. Ooh, you oh said it, God. not me. Um, they also had a machine, coincidentally, called the treadmill. Yeah, I swear that the worst torture machines sound the most ambivalent. Some shit would be called, like, I don't know, the tree. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's fucked up. It's a fucked up tree. We're fucked up devilish. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how people come up with torture. It's weird. Yeah, so uh, the treadmill would be one of those. The treadmill consisted of a cylinder that had a series of steps that the prisoner would step on uh, in order to keep the machine turning in order to grind corn down for further processing. Each step required a lot of pressure in order to keep the cylinder rolling. After having been stripped entirely naked, enslaved people would be expected to do this for days on end, wearing only a small piece of cloth around the body and and a cap was drawn over their face. Oh, good. Physical and psychological torture. And those who were considered to be too sluggish would have the backs of their legs beaten or whipped. And with each step, the enslaved person ran the risk of falling and breaking a limb. So if it wasn't torture enough, but to make them produce something out of it, too. Yeah. I, I guess that's a definition of slave labor, isn't it? Yeah. And this is like just brutal for the sake of being brutal. 
Hopefully, if you were fast-forwarding, you've come back by now. The reason why I think this is worth talking about is that there were worse things than death for people who plotted with Denmark. Like, they, everyone knew about these. Death would be a relief from this kind of treatment. That's not something I think most people listening to have ever really considered in their own lives. And it speaks to what kind of risks Denmark, in particular, a free man, was willing to take for the betterment of friends, family, and people he didn't even know. That's well, I'm not going to say that's funny, but if you've ever worked at a, a call center, then you know exactly what that's like. Yeah. So let's get into it. We talked a little bit about Denmark in the first episode, that when he arrived, he was uh, 16 years old in 1783, despite being owned by Captain Joseph Fessy since 81, when he'd been picked up from an island. To summarize, it was assumed based on Joseph's logs that Denmark had come from the Danish Virgin Islands. While when Joseph purchased him, uh, he was originally destined for a French sugar plantation in St. Dominique. Denmark, whose name we believe was Telemach, was recognized for being very intelligent and for being beautiful, and was uh, taken into the oftener's cabin and given nice clothes. Okay, so I'm getting the whole like sex slave energy where he was going to the fields and somebody thought he was pretty, so he's not going to the fields no more. Yeah, the best way to describe Telemach's relationship with the crew was something like, and these are not my words, in quote, an indulged pet. Don't love that. Yeah, it's not a great look. But for better or worse, it dramatically altered his future as he realized that not all enslaved people were treated equally. When Joseph arrived at port, he was sold alongside the other enslaved Africans, where he was to chop sugarcane 12 hours a day for the rest of his life. Probably not what he expected after that ship ride. No, probably not. And he probably realized he had to try to get back on that ship at all costs. Later, when returning with another shipment, Joseph was told Telmach suffered these epileptic fits. His diagnosis was confirmed by a French physician, although afterwards, like we said in the first episode, he had never experienced another bout of epilepsy. Yeah, he's conning like a king now. It's just what you got to do. Yeah. So I love that the physician was like, yeah, he's got all the indicators of having epilepsy. He has fits. I can see, you can clearly see he has epilepsy. I'm, I just call myself doctor. <laughs> like, well, he did the thing. What else do you want? Uh, so uh, Joseph took him back and he renamed Telemach Denmark, who would be his personal assistant for the next three years. That's weird. I feel like at some point the captain would have noticed that he never had an epileptic fit. Yeah, you would think. So did the captain try to like sell him again? No, and there's no uh, suggestion he ever took it out on Denmark. During this time, they traveled across the islands off the coast of the United States and Africa, where Denmark's diversity of languages was particularly valuable. In many ways, Denmark was a crucial piece of Joseph's trade. It also meant he saw the horrors of what the slave trade looked like at its source. Yeah, and I can't imagine you ever forget those kinds of images or that those seeing some of those things don't shape who you are as a person or who you will be. He had, you know, at a pretty young age, he already had like a very like wide experience and had seen, you know, a lot of things. Seen some shit, yeah. Seen some real shit. Now, upon retiring from being in a boat in uh, 1883, Joseph bought some land in Charleston, brought Denmark and seven other enslaved people with him. Like I said, Denmark was pretty young, but Joseph was also pretty young too. He was only in his early 30s at this point. He was retiring in his early 30s. Yeah, I don't think a slave ship captain is a job you can have for very long without being a terrible person. Well, I mean, you know, even for the times. Yeah, once they got to Charleston, Denmark trained to be a carpenter, 
and uh, continued to learn to read and write and found the Bible and became pretty acquainted with Islam. While he preached from the Bible, there's little doubt his lifestyle was influenced by Muslim practices, including polyamory and abstinence from alcohol. So how common was Islam in the slave community of Charleston? It was around 10% of the population, so not super common, but like common enough. Yeah, those are rookie numbers. They definitely got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> While we'll never know how close he was to Islam, like, you know, because basically everything that existed from his time was burned. We do know he did at least meet with one of the most important enslaved people in the history of Charleston, and that's, and I'm not going to pronounce this name right, Omar Ibn Said. How'd I do, Elliot? Omar Ibn Said. Said, yes. Omar Ibn Said. Pretty close. Omar is important for a number of reasons, not simply for being an escaped slave and for having been educated in Islam prior to his enslavement. He also wrote an autobiography and predicted a prophet who was a teacher who would be sent to free the enslaved. Denmark, working as a carpenter, had worked at the property next to the plantation where Omar had lived and would also be where the most dedicated followers to Denmark in the future would come from that were outside of the city during the uprising. Okay, so he... This is one of those things like he met an influential person. Do you think that helped him become an influential person? Like, I, I think so. Yeah, probably. I, I, that it, this just feels like one of those things that's like important to the story. Yeah, and like it's not. It's it's one of those things where like clearly the the people who lived there were influenced by Omar and Denmark, and whether that not that was just because like they felt like they've been so close to greatness before they would be near greatness again kind of thing, mm -hmm. or if it was because of Denmark actually like being plugged into that community. We don't actually know, like, we're, we're making these assumptions, but we don't actually know whether or not they spoke. Okay. And given how little we do know about Denmark's uh, life, that's not really a surprise. But the overlaps that we see in their lives is, uh, you could say, suspicious. Yeah, I mean, like, these are two very, like, influential people at the time. I'm sure if they had, like, the chance to speak and, you know, share ideas with each other, they, they would. Right, but influential, I think, is the key word that like those spheres of influence clearly had some overlap. So even if they didn't, you know, speak directly, there's got to be some, you know, a few people of separation where they had, you know, people in the same inner circles. Yeah, I mean, when you're that close to one another, I, we are in this like world where like we don't talk to our neighbors, so it seems weird that you would. But like that was just how things were, even like within the enslaved community, that there was still community, right? There was still churches, there were still all these other social components to their existence. What was really unique about Denmark is that he really was the ultimate figurehead. He was malleable in the way he could talk to different people, different groups, different people with different beliefs because of that that upbringing he had on a boat talking traveling the country. He was very well-spoken. He was articulate in a number of languages and was able to speak across religious groups because he was so well-read, whether that was Christians or Muslims or African followers of the Obia religion. And um, he was particularly good at figuring out how to take these things and align them on one issue. And that was the need for a black uprising against the white slave masters. Yeah. He could refer to any of those texts and frameworks for, uh, from these religions to basically justify the need for a violent slave insurrection. Right. And that's got to help in such to, to be in such juxtaposition of the condescension of white Christian men talking down to you and then having somebody come through and talking to you in your language and in terms that you can understand. It's got to help 
sort of build the sides and make drawing that line in the sand and, and picking your team a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. And he did that really well. You know, I think if he'd been someone that was alive today, he would have made a really phenomenal politician. But um, fast forwarding to the year 1800, we've got a 33-year-old Denmark doing his carpentry thing, and uh, he plays a local lottery and won enough earnings to buy his freedom. Okay, so if he's a slave, the stuff that he bought was his? How did he own that? Yeah, and that that's actually a really good point. Technically speaking, Denmark didn't have the right to buy his freedom. What was his was also his master's. This kind of underscores a lot of the documentation that exists around Joseph. Now, despite owning a number, a handful of uh, people that were enslaved, records show repeatedly that freed black slaves lived at his residence, and with their residence came his last name, allowing them a lot more freedom in terms of being able to hold property and make wills. It might have been even necessary for Denmark to get his first apartment upon becoming free. Raising the question that we were talking about last episode was you know, can any slave owner be a good person? Yeah, I think that's tough. I mean, using that same log- logic, could anyone who watched people being enslaved and beaten or tortured be a good person? I mean, it seems like there's definitely degrees. You want to say it's a gray area? Is that what you mean? Because a gray area is nothing but just black and white mixed together. The great melting pot, baby. Some of y'all need to melt faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I, the thing that's important, interesting in this whole thing is I don't think Denmark would have exempted Joseph from his plan. And it shouldn't be surprising. Denmark considered the mixed race free people as class enemies as well. Many of them vocally supported slavery as long as they were exempt. And again, I feel like we can make a lot of parallels to that weird dichotomy of like understanding race and class and identity and how like people can quickly cut themselves out of it. Many of his mixed race neighbors actually had slaves themselves. And this manifested in things like how they socialized, choosing the white churches over the African churches, for example. And uh, I'm not sure if Joseph would have been mad at him for not exempting him from this plan either. Because even after he gets caught and has to go to court, Joseph is the one that provides the attorney who defends Denmark in court, despite the fact that he sold him or sold Denmark his freedom over two decades prior. Okay, so they had probably stayed in contact or in touch somewhat. Yeah, it it reminds me of that meme that's like, when the Zoomers come and cancel me for not being radical enough, and it's like the subcaption's like, not bad, kid. It's like some anime thing, I don't know. Matt, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I love it when you describe memes, though, in an audio format. It's so fun. Why is that? Do I want to know? Because nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. You just sound like... Does anyone ever know what the hell I'm talking about? You sound like the old drunk guy you are. Fair. Um, but yeah, like I, I think Joseph would have like, I mean, he didn't hate him for it because he, he provided him with like an attorney, right? Yeah, a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he wasn't that good. He still lost his head, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, uh, what's really interesting is like, we don't know anything about Denmark's life because the government, the, the aristocrats were so fearful when this happened, they literally burned every piece of documentation that existed about him. To get to the point that, you know, Denmark, the, the few things we do know about him is that there was consistent documentation of his openness to criticizing slavery. Like, there's no way that Joseph wouldn't have known that. And despite that, and then hearing about what his plan was, he still provided him an attorney, which he like absolutely did not have to do. Yeah, I'm conflicted on this one. Almost as conflicted as I am to run this commercial. Oh, come on. I... Howdy. 
Hello. Hang on. Let me let me try that again. <clears throat> Hello, skeleton army. That's aggressive. Yeah. I'm Angel Luna. I'm Nash Flynn. Welcome to Death and Friends. We're two comedians with a podcast. It's very original of us. Quiet, you. It is a history tour about everyone's final destination. As an academic. Nerd. I have a PhD. I almost sort of have a, kind of have a PhD. Anyway, I've researched a lot of death history. And also, I'm here. We'll talk about ways we die, ways we get buried, and ways we get remembered. And we even make some friends along the way. Huh? Is it a comedy podcast about death? Or a death history podcast that's funny? We have no idea. Mm, look, death can be tricky to talk about. And even though we're talking about it a lot. <laughs> Just please know, in fact, remember that you are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend. Put me in your top eight, baby. Join us and listen to Death and Friends. Become a member of the Skeleton Army. Like right now. Do it. It's mandatory. Go on. Subscribe. Hit the button. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can say it. Did yep. you do it? Yes? Okay, good. Okay. Love you. Love you. Death and Friends Podcast. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Death? And we're back, and we're just entering a new phase for Denny. Not the franchise chain. God, I'm just thinking about what that Grand Slam would look like at this restaurant. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, not not the franchise chain. So for the next couple decades after Denmark won his freedom in the lottery, he lives like a fairly typical life for someone in his status. He was well known in the free black middle class with a successful carpentry business, and uh, he had himself a few wives across the city. I mean, that's cool. I I love that he could afford a better life in pre-Civil War Charleston than I am currently trying to cobble together in 2023. Yeah, what's a few rents for an average carpenter? Not a good look for uh, capitalism. Yeah, I mean, are there any good looks for capitalism? Listen, I'm pretty sure that Musk is working on some brain implant to make you think everything is better than it is. Oh, God. Just live in a fake world and ignore that you live in a tiny box. Just make sure you go to work. That's also an episode of Black Mirror, Andy. I'm not going to watch it, Elliot. Technology. No, you don't have to watch it. You can just fucking stay alive and watch the news. It's going to happen anyway. You'll see it. <laughs> yeah, just look out for some like trendy work share thing, and it's going to be the Black Mirror episode. Oh, good. I've been getting those mess- or, uh, ads on Instagram lately. Don't love it. For what? For uh, work share spaces and shit like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, so one that asks you to like live on an exercise bike for money for food <laughs> not yeah, yet just steer clear of that one i mean to be fair i'd probably be in a lot better shape and i'd probably have more money theoretically they already got you bud you might as well just sign up yeah so um we got through those first two decades he's just you know average free black man in the south the following decade however as we get closer to um when this event takes place in 1833 1833, I think it's 1833. Denmark begins to distance himself from the free blacks in the city. Like he starts, like basically, he stops giving a shit once he starts getting into his 40s and 50s. He starts vocally opposing slavery, joins the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Again, remember all of the freed slaves or free black men did not go to the African church. They stayed with the white people. And the African Methodist Episcopal Church represented an Africanized understanding of Christianity, which is important because, like, you know, it's it reflects the people who who went to the church. And um, at this time, Denmark also started articulating that while he was satisfied with his own life, he wanted to see his children freed from slavery. Okay, so 
all of his kids were enslaved. They're just the ones he had when he was a slave and he had some after he was freed. So they're not enslaved. How does that, I don't, how does that work? Yeah. So we don't actually know how many kids he had. We do know some were enslaved. The city census from records from this time show at least like three or four houses with the last name Vesey. Obviously, it gets complicated since his last name, like all enslaved people in the city, came from their slave owner. Yeah, it seems like it gets complicated really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get it. That happened to me. I tried to look up my family line, and the last thing that we could find was a it was a wanted poster from a newspaper in like 18, I don't even know, 1862 or something like that for a runaway slave. Oh, hell and yeah. We think that was my great, great, great granddad, but that's as, that's as far as I could get to like a you know, form or documentation saying this is where I come from. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool though, man. Yeah. So, I mean, a baby born into slavery could carry the last name of either the father whose last name came from the slave owner if they weren't a free man. But if the mothers, I don't know. I don't understand how the names work. It's they, They don't make, it's just whatever. Whoever your owner is, is your last name. Yeah, there's like a weird hierarchy of like who comes first and then like what what their status is in the world, but whether or not you get their last name. But yeah, back to Denmark. So he does have some kids is the point. One in particular that we'll talk about, Robert, makes a return later in his story. He was born free, fortunately. But remember, Denmark was polyamorous, had multiple wives. And we know at least at one point he had at least six families. Ooh. Yeah, that's six households, six birth. Well, six different kids' possible birthdays. You could have six children being born in one year. Scary time. Six Christmases must get expensive. Oh, my God. And he did it. Again, to Elliot's point, like, he fucking did it. I could not afford that. Point is that there were there were definitely a few kids out there. So it seems like multiple families and, like, polyamory and polygamy was kind of, like, normal back then? Yeah, I think so, or at least, like, when it was possible. This was kind of a little weird sidetrack I went down trying to understand Denmark. And this could be for a number of reasons. Part of it, or at least what they historically start to suggest, was that cultural evolution had to take place because families couldn't stay nuclear under slavery when they were separated or, you know, sold or traveled or whatever it might be. Oftentimes, men would be expected to produce children for their slave owners while being in love with another woman and um, so on. It could also be part of the Muslim faith that exists or even the Obia religion, which is uh, closely tied to a number of practices. And polygamy is treated as a common practice in many of those native lifeways where freed people were put in chains in Africa. Yeah, I feel like this is his first revolution. He was literally trying to breed an army. I don't think he knew what he was doing, but he knew what he was doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The, the Vessi army. Yeah. No, I, I feel like there's a lot that we could talk about around this whole topic and how black men are treated as constantly cheating on their partners or unable to settle down. Could, I don't know. Could be echoes of cultural differences, right? Yeah. There's definitely, there's got to be something to that, like in terms of like, if you think about like, I, I feel like when you listen to like old jazz and stuff, like it's always about these stories of like, you know, partners cheating and like, like jazz musicians, for example, like always having like multiple partners, multiple families, things like that. Um, and there's like this really interesting, like cultural piece that exists, especially in places in the South, like in African churches that are historically much more forgiving of polyamorous practices than like any other church. And this doesn't really like jive with mainstream Christianity. So yeah, maybe another day. 
I don't think we're going to add that to the list. No, not the list, but we'll put it on the list. You know, I know what that means now, and you can't tell me it's on the pretend list. <laughs> we're going to get to it. We promise. Put it on the list. Yeah. You know what? There's no way you guys can say that to me now without me thinking you're being sarcastic. Look, just look, Will, Elliot and I will handle the lists. I feel like if you were in charge of your own lists, it would get out of hand way too quickly. Am it, I wrong? It has gotten out of hand. Right. So that's it's why Elliot and I keep the list. Yeah, I'm going to use some of the Patreon money to buy um, those two posts with the red rope. And I'm going to stand behind it with a list. And I'm not going to let Andy into this house because he's not he's not on the list. Ooh, that's brutal. So go support our Patreon so they can troll me troll in my own house. Andy in real life. Let me do it. Let me do Fuzzy it. Fuzzy rope. Anyways, back to the church. In the uh, later 18s-ish, I don't know the terminology here, from like 1815 to 1817, he was heavily involved with the church and himself, along with other leaders of the AME church, were ultimately arrested for late night services. The argument being that obviously they must have been up to no good. The punishment was 10 lashes or a $5 penalty. They were in trouble for being, what, too pious? Too pious. It was ultimately a fear and realization that eventually they would build a rebellion. It was uh, always a when, not an if, in the eyes of a lot of the whites in Charleston. And I should be clear, we don't know for certain he was included in the roundup, but basically every person he was surrounded with in terms of like his, the things we do have documented, they were all included in this. And at this point, he wasn't really particularly you know, significant. He wasn't a, a formal church leader or anything like that. But like I said, basically anything that had his name on it was burned after the uprising. So we are really grasping at straws for a lot of things. We do know 182 people were arrested at this specific event at the church. And it was a radicalizing moment for people who had, at that point, so little to have. And this this one little place that they did have uh, was basically like stripped from them. The, 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 the sense of, you know... Yeah, I mean, you can't make a martyr or a hero if they didn't exist in the first place. So just fucking burn, burn it. Burn it all. Burn it all. And that's what Denmark said. Fortunately, it is what he said. Um, Looking forward to this part three. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, yes, we should probably wrap it up because we already have 40 minutes on this bad boy. And uh, we've covered basically all of the pre-radicalization of Denmark's life that we have. And there's not a lot, but there is some interesting stuff to, to understand the context with. Yeah. We covered philosophy in the first episode. This is sort of the preamble or the run up. I guess the next one, we're going to light the match and see what happens. Yeah, we're going to see how this uh, this blaze burns. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in like two or three days with uh, part three. Part three. We're going to drop it like it's hot. All these fire puns. Good job. That's right. Where the beaver, where the be- where my beaver's at. <laughs> where the beaver gaming. <laughs>